0: God's Word to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, is this on, Todd? Okay. We'll be reading just the first five verses, or first four verses, excuse me. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. May God add a blessing to his word. Please be seated. A few weeks ago, we examined the tail end of chapter 3, where James reveals that there are two kinds of wisdom that we can operate in. And if you recall, wisdom is living out the knowledge and the understanding that we have in our lives, and we can either live it out in a godly way, which is godly wisdom, or we can live it out in an earthly way. And we see that godly wisdom produces peace, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. But earthly wisdom, It doesn't produce that because it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. And the reason why James is addressing this is because there were some in the church operating by earthly wisdom, but they claimed it to be spiritual wisdom. They defended their actions as rightful. As a continuation of that theme of godly wisdom versus earthly wisdom, we now find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 4. And here James uses a rhetorical question to pull back the curtain, if you will, and reveal where true conflict comes from. And the reason he does this is to bring truth to the situation. Because there were some in the church who felt the conflict they were generating was not because of them, but because of somebody else. They never turned the light on to themselves. It's their fault. So they were deceived in their thinking that their actions were right. And yet it was leading to wars. It was leading to quarrels. It was leading to fights. It was leading to conflict within the church. And so James throws down a truth bomb, if you will, and begins to reveal some things that we need to understand as it relates to conflict. Now keep in mind our theme in the study of James is spiritual maturity. We all need to grow into spiritual maturity. We're all children of God. We're all at different stages, but we continue to grow to maturity until the day he calls us home. It's never completed here. And one of the signs of immaturity in a Christian is when they quickly move to selfish desires. And it leads to quarrels, leads to fights, leads to wars leads to conflict. So we need to explore what James is saying here for our own benefit, for our own understanding, for our own maturity. Now, after studying this segment of Scripture, I felt it necessary to make it into two parts. In the first part, we're going to explain where conflict comes from within the verses that I read. Part two will come in two weeks because my brother Tim is going to be preaching next week because I'll be out of town. But part two is going to examine how we prevent it from happening in our lives. And so let's begin by looking at verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? James uses the term quarrels and fights Now, some of your versions may actually say conflict or wars. Now, quarrels means a dispute, a fight, a conflict that causes strife, that causes contention, and or quarreling. And some of your versions may say war, like I said, and that that adds another dimension to it because what war means is passions that disquiet the soul. Passions that disquiet the soul. In other words, turmoil within that which is fueled by selfish desires. Now, conflict occurs when there are two competing and opposed desires that war against each other. This can happen within us, within ourselves, individually when our flesh desires something that the Spirit says that is not of God. It can happen with others, husbands, wives, friends, family, neighbors, the guy in front of you who's driving the car like an idiot. But it can also happen with God. It can also happen with God. In fact, I'll be teaching on these three areas this Wednesday for Bible study here at the Church for Prayer because I just don't have enough time to include it here this morning. Now, when these two opposing forces battle, there will be conflict. You argue with your wife because she wants to buy a new washer and dryer, and you want new furniture. You want to go out with your friends, but your boyfriend wants you to stay home. Two managers or supervisors argue over resources that they both desire. Conflict can happen at any time, in any area, in any situation. And sadly, it can happen in the church. It shouldn't, but it does. Remember the disciples when they were traveling down the road and a discussion emerged, who would be the greatest? He said, 12 disciples, man. They're walking along with Jesus, God incarnate. Yeah, I think I'm better than him. Think, pfft, James, you don't have a chance. I'm Peter. <laughs> Come on. And they started arguing as to who would be the greatest. You can find that story in Luke chapter 22. It's a great study in relationship to what we're talking about here. And so what can happen in the church as well. You've heard of the old saying, you know, that church split over carpet. There was one church I was reading about in Canada where a pastor had his tie get caught up in his hand It started choking him, and so he took the tie off and said, ties are from Satan, no more ties. Caused a split in the church. And to this day, one of the churches in Canada is known by the last name, and I forget the guy's name, because he doesn't like ties. As it could happen over anything when there are two competing desires opposed to each other and desire their own thing. That's where conflict comes from. And like Chris Tweedy preached last week, which was a great message, it happens when we act in a selfish way. I want what I want. We may not say it that way to ourselves. We'll justify it. I think I'm right here. and I think this is what I should have, and they shouldn't have that. That's how conflict starts. But remember what Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We can stop right there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Now, as important it is to know what conflict is, it's always good to define that and understand it, but we also understand what the source of conflict, where does it come from? James provides that as well in the second part of verse 1. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That's where it starts. That's where it begins. And this is the truth that James is throwing to the church right now. It begins with you. It is internal, not external. It plays out externally. It starts in you. It resides within your passions, and your passions are lusts. And lusts is the desire for instant gratification. We're not just talking about sex here. It's about anything that you lust after. I want that now. I've seen people make impulsive decisions based upon lust in buying things that they couldn't afford. It's because they wanted that instant gratification satisfied. And we can do the same thing in our selfish desires and motivations in the things that we want in this world, the things that we want in the church. We want what we want. And that can lead to big problems when we operate in a selfish way. Because there's always going to be conflict when we operate that way. Galatians 5.17 reveals why. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. There's your battle, and it's right here. Before I was saved, there was no battle. Why would there be? If I wanted it? I, I, every once in a while, the morals and the values that my mom and dad taught me kind of came into conflict with me, but overall, hmm. but when the Spirit of the living God entered into my heart. Tim, this is the way of the Lord. I don't like that way, Lord. I didn't say that. That was my flesh. Like, oh no, we're opposed to that. We're not doing that. No way, because that doesn't satisfy us. And God calls us out of ourselves by way of the Holy Spirit. As soon as we're saved, and he never stops. Now, it's important that we understand this because since we are selfish within ourselves, our sinful nature, we don't see conflict coming from within. We think it's somebody else, it's not me, it's them. Watched a couple of three-year-olds. I got two of them for grandkids. Who did that? They're each pointing at each other. It wasn't me. It was them. But James shows us that it is us because it starts with us. This is the front line of the battle that we face. And if we don't conquer it here, it's going to spill over just like any other conflict that you see in the world. Now, it's important that we get this because if we see it only from an external perspective, we're not going to take responsibility for it. We're not going to own it. We're not going to say, it's me. And we're really good at doing that. But when it comes from within, that changes the situation. To where we have to look in. You see, once you know how something starts, you can make a strategy in preventing it from happening. Again, Paul says in Galatians, but I say walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For if we walk in the Spirit of the living God, we are in perfect harmony with the Spirit of the living God. We are abiding with Him We're not walking contrary to Him. And you know, when you walk contrary to the Holy Spirit, that never works, by the way. That will generate conflict. Now, ideally, we would all love to be here, walking in the Spirit, never gratifying the desires of the flesh. But yet it still happens. It happens in the church. It happens in our life. It happens in our relationships. And when it does, and we need to understand this too, when it does, when we allow it to happen, it could be very destructive. Verse 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Now that's pretty harsh for James to say, but it's true. Selfish desires can manifest all kinds of destructive behaviors and conflicts. And the first one is murder. Murder? Come on, James. That's a little harsh. What was that that movie? I didn't watch it. I'd seen a clip of it. Will Ferrell, when he plays Don Burgundy, when they were fighting in the court with different networks, and he goes, boy, that escalated quickly. That's how fast it can happen and it can go straight to murder. And as I was reading some of the commentaries on this, I was like, really murder? And what the commentators all agree on is, is James is trying to make a point here on how severe it is when it occurs and what it can lead to. To think that your passions cannot lead to murder, well, just look at human nature because it can. And a friend of mine at Malmstrom when I was in the Air Force, and he got orders to Germany, and I got orders to Korea. And next thing I know, as the Air Force is a large force, but it's small, you, you start, oh, man, I was stationed with you at Malmstrom. When I got to Minot, there was a guy going, hey, man, I was stationed with you at Malmstrom. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so we started going down the list of names. And his name came up. I said, hey, whatever happened to, uh, what's it? he goes, uh, wow, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. No, tell me. He went to Germany with his wife. His wife started having an affair. He followed him to Paris and he killed them both. And himself. You see, passions can lead to that. And it's sad. It's sad when it happens. Now I think a better understanding of what James is saying here is we need to understand what the word in the Greek means. The word murder. And it means to kill. And in the context, some commentators believe this is that it comes from a zealous nature, such as the Pharisees desiring to murder Jesus. And why did they want to desire to murder Jesus? Because they believed what they were doing was God's work, that God was on their side. And this guy came in disrupting things, and guess what? They were jealous of his following, and they didn't agree with his message, so they found a way to put him on the cross. And the whole time, they sat back going, we were right, and he was wrong until the day he was crucified, and he rose from the dead. That's when they knew. In fact, that's when the centurion knew. Behold, this truly was the Son of God. But it should never get to that point. It should never arrive there, but understand that murder also means not taking a physical action, but an action of the heart. Listen to this: everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Ouch! And you know that no murderers have eternal life abiding in Him. First John three fifteen. Now this comes from the Apostle John, who sat at the feet of Jesus and his teachings, and we hear this in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty one through twenty two. You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You see, murder can happen in the heart. And although murder is something we would never consider in an actionable action, we can be angry with somebody. And Jesus corrected the true meaning that if you feel it in your heart, it's like taking action. Because everything is from the heart. It's from the heart. That's how we love, that's how we care. That's how we cried out to Jesus. That's why he gave us a new heart. To live this life in Christ. It's about the heart. And everything comes from the heart. If it's corrupt, guess what's coming out of the heart? That which is corrupt. Now some would say, well, I've never been that angry, Tim, against anybody. Well, let's look at the biblical definition. Sorry, I'm a little behind here. Let's look at a biblical definition of anger, okay? It's a strong emotional reaction of displeasure. Often leading to plans of revenge and punishment. Now, it doesn't seem very harsh, does it? Seems rather benign if you ask me. But that's the subtlety of anger. Is that it really doesn't take... See, some people think anger is out of control rage. Mm -mm. Anger is just what it says. It's a strong emotional reaction of displeasure. I bet you if we took a few minutes and you guys tell me how you drive around Minot, you would probably give me an example of that. How either you showed a strong emotional reaction of displeasure with somebody else or somebody showed that to you. That's anger. It doesn't take much. We're not talking high into to the right. We're talking in its basic form. And now that we understand that, we can see the severity of that, right? A lesser response that is equally damaging is when we covet. Now, it's interesting what covet means. It doesn't mean I want what you have because I don't have it. Covet means I want what you have because I don't want you to have it. Again, the illustration of three-year-olds. I have two of them. They run up, they grab the... Cheyenne walks up, grabs it out of Jared's hand. Then Cheyenne walks over and grabs it out of Cheyenne's hand. And if I put something out in the middle, they both want it. But two seconds later, they'll drop it and go try to grab the next thing that's in their hand. It's amazing to watch children. Where did they learn this? Bad parenting? Oh, that's the corruption of sin. And you can see it in a three-year-old. And if we're not maturing, we can exude the same behaviors. Just in an adult form. And this can happen in the church too. Remember the story of James and John, the sons of thunder? They were called that for a reason. Right? There's two places that we can find this story. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 26, and Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. I would encourage you to read those two stories. One deals with the moms involved along with James and John. The other one's just James and John. But basically, mom goes up to Jesus and says, I would like for my sons to sit at the left hand and the right hand of you. Okay? Can we make that happen? Let's go, Jesus. Let's make it happen. Because my sons are, well, we already know, they're probably the best of all this bunch. I don't know if that's what she said, but for a mom to approach Jesus and say, I want my sons to sit at a level of prestige and honor to the left and to the right of you. And Jesus says, That's not for me to give to you. Now, what happened when this story was <laughs> learned by the disciples? They were indignant. They were not happy with James's mom, James, or John. That happened within the disciples. Well, if it can happen there, it can happen here. Now, there are two reasons why this internal conflict manifests itself outwardly in murder and coveting. And they're not good. And the first one deals with our prayer life. I mean, prayer is good. I meant that the actions that we take are not good. But the first one we deal with is our prayer life. Our prayer life. Verses 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The first reason that there are destructive behaviors that manifest themselves in selfish passions that desire things is because our prayer life is off or it's non-existent, or it's corrupted. Listen, selfishness hinders effective prayer. Selfishness hinders effective prayer. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead and we receive from Him everything we need for this life of godliness that He's called us to and the Holy Spirit resides in us, And we set our minds upon the things of God and not the things of this earth. I'm describing a Christian here. And if we desire to walk in the Spirit of the living God and not in the flesh, then we must believe that all things come from Him. We have to believe that. Romans 11, 26, For for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. You know what this is saying? Everything we have, everything we will ever have, comes from Him. Opportunities come from Him. Promotions come from Him. I told my son that a long time ago. I said, Seth, I when he was talking about promotions and the opportunity for promotions, I said, let me tell you something. The Lord showed me when I was a staff sergeant that all promotions come from Him. They're in His time and for His purpose and for His goodwill. I said, so you need to pray that this will be the will of God for your life. Everything comes from Him. Positions Within the church, come from Him. So instead of using earthly wisdom to get what we want and engage in conflict in order to achieve it, how about we repent of that and just go to prayer and seek the Lord who gives you everything that you desire? We need to pray. Now, when we pray, it does two things. And they're very important that we understand this. The first thing is, it tests the desires of our hearts and see if they are truly from God. It tests the desires of our heart to see if they're truly from God. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If we are serious in prayer and we approach the throne of grace, in humility, God will reveal your heart. He'll tell you if those passions that are burning within you are a view or a burden from Him. How do I know that? Because there have been numerous times that I can even count where I went into prayer and the Lord revealed my heart. And it changed the whole trajectory of that prayer. You see, I was going in going, Lord, I really need you to help me with this. I really need you to do something for me. I really need you to do this in their life. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't we start with examining your heart? And let's define where this is coming from. And as the Holy Spirit would do, the next part of that prayer is falling on my face in conviction and then praying to the Lord that my heart would be right. That's what prayer does. In prayer, God cuts to the chase. He gets to the point and he reveals our true motives. God knows your heart, and if we're honest and humble before him, he will reveal the sin in our hearts and the misguided motives that we have. Remember, prayer is more than just supplications, requests to God. If your prayer life is nothing more than a list of stuff you want, we need to talk about what prayer really is. Prayer is also about examining your heart and getting the heart of God. And getting the heart of God and pressing in. Psalms 139, verses 23 through 24 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there would be any wicked way within me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's how we should start prayer. Let's set the stage correctly. Secondly, if it is of God and His will, it will happen. It will happen. That's what the second part of that verse says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, when we're abiding in the Lord, when we're abiding in Christ, when we're abiding in His word, guess what? Your heart's going to be right. You're not going to have these selfish desires at war within you. You're not going to want to quarrel with your brother or sister. You're not going to want to fight with your brother and sister over something in the church. You're going to want to love them. You're going to want to operate in that godly peace that talks about being peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. That's how you're going to want to operate because you've got the heart of God. Listen, I don't want anything that is not in accordance with God's will. Nothing. I don't want the high-paying job if it's not God's will. I don't want the promotion if it's not God's will. I don't want to teach or preach or be a pastor if it is not God's will. I had to go through some very difficult circumstances in my life to figure that out. You don't have to. Seek God first. Any desire that you have, let Him purify it. Let Him show the true motive. And if it's in the will of God, what a blessing to walk in the will of God. And this is why prayer is so essential in keeping us from acting in a selfish and motivating way. Because here's something that is true. When we are acting selfishly, our hearts are corrupt and our prayers will be too. They will be. Therefore, we need to humble ourselves before God and ask Him to examine our hearts. And when He reveals it, the error that we may have, we need to repent right then. Listen, if you go to prayer and all you do is affirm yourself in what you are doing, your heart's not right. You want an example? Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector, or the publican, as your versions might say? When they approached the throne and they prayed, how did the Pharisee pray? Boy, well, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector. I tithe, I fast, I do, I walk the way the Pharisees walk, or whatever he says. I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector. And that tax collector, and that Pharisee was right here. Oh, Lord, I am so glad I am not like that guy. And where was the tax collector? He was over here. He wouldn't even approach the throne of grace because he was unworthy. And so if all of our prayers are nothing but affirming us and telling God what to do about other people, poof, I want to check our heart. Now, the second reason this happened is because we're operating in earthly wisdom. The first reason is we're not praying properly. That's why we war. That's why we fight. That's why we try to covet. Is because we're not praying effectively. We're not getting the heart of God. The second reason we're doing it is because we're earthly. We're operating in an earthly manner. And I'm going to tell you something. I could have my brothers come up here and talk. There were, we were good in the earth. <laughs> we knew what we wanted. We know how to manipulate to get what we wanted. And we knew how to fight to get what we wanted in the earth, in the flesh. That's not how God operates. That's not what he's called us to do. Verse 4. This is what happens when we operate in the earthly. Verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Ouch. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ouch. Guys, he's writing to Christians. Not to the world. To Christians in the church. James calls those who obtain... what who seek to obtain what they desire through earthly wisdom and means as being adulterous people. Jesus, we are the bride of Christ. And someday He's coming for His bride, the church. Why then, if we are His bride, why do we go to the world to get what we want? Versus going to Him. Why? Why do we operate in an earthly way when He has laid out exactly how we are to live this life in Christ? That's why He uses the term adulterous. You're going somewhere else to get what I provide you. Look at the Old Testament. Just read the book of Judges. That plays out all the time. They're always seeking something from the world that the Lord said He would provide them. He called them adulterous as well. Their heart's not right for God, but it's for the world. They're using worldly schemes, worldly processes to obtain what they desire. Brothers and sisters, this is really important for us to grab because it's one of those points that we tend to brush over and say, well, that's not me. I don't operate that way. I would never act that way. And yet we do. It may be at varying levels, but we do. You have the best example within yourself as to what James is talking about. And it only takes a few moments of reflection to come to the first moment of conflict and analyze it and see exactly where your motives were. And this is why we can't pass over this. We just can't brush over this. We just can't cover it real quickly and move on to the next point, Tim. Because when we act in a worldly way, in order to selfishly obtain what we want, it generates the conflict. It generates the conflicts and the wars and the fighting and the hatred. And James says that's friendship with the world. That's how the world acts. That's not how you are to act. See, we're different than the world. Our citizenship is not in the world. We are not governed by worldly lusts, impulses, desires. We are governed by the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us by way of His Word. This is how we're supposed to live. Not that way. Not that way. I think it's important that I understand what enmity means. It's one of those words. It means hostility. Hostility towards God. Now that's what James is saying. So don't send me texts, don't send me emails saying, I really didn't agree with what you were saying. James is saying that if we operate in the world out of selfish desires, that's enmity towards God, which is hostility towards Him. You guys heard me tell you a story when my brother called me up and said that I didn't get step promoted. And that night I was angry, angry. Beyond just being annoyed, I had rage. And then God convicted me of my sin and unrighteousness and said, Who are you mad at? Well, that guy, that tech he didn't deserve that promotion. I did. Did you not see my package, Lord? Didn't Ron send it to you? He said, You're mad at me. That's who you're mad at. Oh. Oops. And I fell asleep with the Word of God on my chest because the spiritual warfare that happened after that was a fight, and I was afraid to fall asleep. That's how quickly that can happen, and that's how quickly we could show hostility towards God and pray, praise the Lord that He convicted me of that. As miserable of an experience that was, it taught me what I'm sharing with you today. This is why we need to pray, so we can discern the will of God, to change our heart, to define our motives, so that we don't act that way. Now, this is part one of quarrels, fights, and conflicts, and it paints a pretty grim picture of ourselves when we operate in a selfish way to get what we want. In part two, I can't wait to preach this, in part two, James reveals how we prevent it from ever happening. And feel free to read ahead. But here's what I want you to take away from this. This is what I want you to remember as we come to close. Nothing good ever comes from being motivated by selfish desires. Nothing. Nothing. All they provide is destructive actions and behaviors. Quarrels, fights, and conflicts and wars are indicators of conflict within ourselves and it can easily involve others, and it can adversely affect our relationship with God. When you find yourself in a situation where you feel conflict is starting, stop, pray, and seek the Lord. Have Him examine your heart and reveal your motives. Brothers and sisters, I believe if you do that, He will reveal your true motives And you will then be able to walk in peace, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and most importantly, in love for one another. In love for one another. It is amazing how Chris Tweedy's message fit perfectly in between the two messages that the Lord has given us in James. We're talking about unity in the body of Christ. And one way we do that is through maturity in the body of Christ. And one of the things that we need to do for maturity in the body of Christ is understand what conflicts are, where they come from, what motivates them, what happens if we yield to them, and how we prevent them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Father, that every day your word lives in us. It saved us. It empowers us. It guides us. It is a lamp unto our feet. It brings about a more mature faith. And so, Father, by way of your Holy Spirit, convict us now this day of the conflicts that we may have been involved in when we've hurt someone else and pray, Father, that you would forgive us and reconcile us one to another, starting with you. And so, Father, we bear out our heart to you and pray that your Holy Spirit now will speak to us tomorrow, Tuesday, all week, next month, all year, for the rest of our life on what conflict really is and where it begins. So that we can walk in love, Lord, for one another. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.